What's up, peeps? Before you get into the episode, just a quick message. Did you know that Rebranded Safety is brought to you by Risk Fluent? Rebranded Safety is essentially our campaign to achieve our purpose, which is to make the working world better by Rebranded Safety one interaction at a time. We value a people-centered approach that delivers positive impact on the risk. We deliver three types of services, technical, transformational, and fire. It's the last show I wanted to talk to you about. If you value what we value and you want some support driving a culture change or decluttering your safety systems, or you want to improve human performance and it's our transformational support that can help you, or maybe you want a highly experienced registered fire risk assessor to carry out an assessment on your building, design an emergency plan or review the fire safety design for your new building, then it's our fire support service that can help you. But before you get in touch with us, it's important that you want to have impact on the actual risk and you value a people-centered approach. If you don't, that's fine. You'll find someone that can help you. But if you do value those, then get in touch with us at riskfluentltd.com or email me, james, at riskfluentltd.com. But for now, I'll let you get into the episode. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rerunner Safety. Today, we're talking all about event risk management, event safety, crowd management. Um, we might have seen we put out a LinkedIn post. I think we did it on Twitter as well. We're not very good on Twitter, but anyway, about um, getting someone on to talk about uh, safety and crowd management and big events and stuff like that off the back of the Astro World kind of incident um, because I don't know enough about events to talk about it. But ultimately, it was really interesting. I had some questions, and I thought you would be really interested to hear some more. So let's jump into the intro. I'll tell you some more about today's episode and guest. Let's go. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution or one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing a stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is YouTube channel podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin with change your perception of safety so if you're new here hit that subscribe button bell and all of those magical algorithms rebalance safety is brought to you by our consultancy risk fluent so risk fluent is all about impactful risk management of our operations particularly health and safety uh, all about impactful cultures and and bringing that human factors and social side into it and trying to drive some impactful risk management um so we kind of take the technical um safety which we can deliver as a kind of one-off stuff um you know because everyone needs to do that stuff still and then we also take that more transformational kind of cultural side and we try and bring the two together with a combination of like one-off stuff or long-term partnerships or whatever. So if you've been listening to Rebounding Safety for a long time, this has been a long time coming. Um, we're about four months into the consultancy. Thank you very much for supporting us. So without further ado, let's talk some more about today's guest. Today's guest is an amazing lady called Anne-Marie Habib, who is the secretary of the UK CMA and the global CMA. And CMA stands for Crowd Management Association. So it's a trade association 
organization essentially a, you know a company of loads of different companies kind of come together they join a membership and and they talk and they try and solve problems jointly and they kind of lobby government for positive change or to kind of protect their industry and so on and so forth so i've got a lot of experience within trade associations previously working in one um, and working closely with them in other in other uh, roles that I'd had, and I think they are really really powerful bodies when used uh, correctly. They're complex bodies, but ultimately they are good things. So we put a post out of the back of the Astro World incident because for me there was echoes of um, Hillsborough in there, and but I didn't know enough about event management and crowd management to to kind of quantify that 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 statement if i'm honest it was quite a, a naive statement so to speak but i want to talk about it i wanted to learn more about uh, crowd management so we do briefly talk about astro world but obviously the case is still ongoing and it wouldn't be fair on Anne-Marie for us to kind of really drill in on her that actually had nothing to do with it and ultimately um you know as an association i can only really take immediate learnings that they think they are but then ultimately wait for the the wider inquiry and stuff like that so ultimately, that's what we do. We kind of talk about the general challenges of risk management within a crowd and loads more. Um, so I hope you enjoy this episode. One final shout out from Project Miletium. We know the name is hard to spell. We're working on something. We've had some feedback. Thank you very much for those of you that have fed back to us. There is something coming, but it's going to take time. Uh, but ultimately, the website's in the description below, so you don't need to spell it. But ultimately, what is Project Miletium? It is a network of safety professionals, people that manage risk, manage safety within their roles as that's their role or part of an operational role, maybe, or, or a small business. But it's anyone that manages safety, anyone that manages risk can come into this community and, and have yourself a little safety team, so to speak. Um, you know, you can have weekly calls, you do calls on a Wednesday, calls on a Friday. We can just go and vent. You can go and ask for support. You can go and listen. We can go and chat about something we saw on LinkedIn. There's so much that we talk about and our weekly community calls are just You've got, to, you've got to see it to believe it. You've got to come along and try it, which is why we are doing a month free of charge. You can get your first month completely free. Just go to the website, click join us. There's a big red code at the top of the screen. We'll also put the code down below. You can type in the code and you get your first month free. So you can go in, try it, and then just cancel at the end of the month if you don't like it. But trust me, you'll like it. We also do book clubs, philosophy calls quarterly event there's online stuff uh, that you can download and there's more to come as well in the near future we are rapidly growing and uh, if you want to be a, a part of a community a network of people that are just looking to be better then this is the place for you so don't forget to check out project Miletium in the description below thank you very much for listening hope you enjoy this chat with Anne marie without further ado let's get into the conversation annie welcome to the podcast thanks so much james too so I kind of um, put my feelers out there after the big kind of Astro World um, kind of incident and, and then the big blow up and the conversation around that because I was like, I want to talk about it, but I don't have a clue about it. And I don't want to, uh, I didn't want to kind of put my opinions out there when I have no idea because there's, there's more than enough opinions out there for, for everything, isn't there, of people that don't know what they're talking about. So I didn't want to <laughs> kind of be like that guy or, or in in like, after I'm a big rugby fan 
And like, yeah. I didn't want to be that guy that's in the comments and like, yeah, I know better than that really professional coach that's been doing it his whole life. <laughs> and I've done his set on a sofa. Like, so I didn't want to be that guy in safety. Um, and, um, and we kind of kind of bumped into yourself. So, and you kind of said, you'll come on and kind of educate us around what those two, what, what crowd management is like, but to start off with, do you want to kind of introduce yourself, what you do, what you've done um, and what, and what you're doing now? Yeah, no problem at all. I don't want to be that girl as well, James. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll start from we'll start from both assuming uh, assuming that position, right? So, um, okay. Uh, my name's Amri Shabib, and uh, I'm the managing director of Select Security and Stewarding Limited. So, my sort of day job involves working with crowds uh, to look after security and stewarding and audience management of those crowds. So, sort of your your nine to five, and then. The rest of my nine till five, which is probably most of the evening and into the night, is uh, I look after the United Kingdom Crown Management Association and the Global Crown Management Association. So I'm the secretary for the UK CMA and the part of the secretariat for the the global piece. So we're we're wearing sort of various hats today with you, I think. So, um, yeah, a bit of practitioner, a bit of association knowledge, lots of industry knowledge, lots of working with government. So, yeah, that's my probably my start point and about 25 years in the industry now so I'm going to show my age (laughs) a little bit at that point but yeah call it wisdom we can show you Ah, brilliant (laughs) I'm wise beyond my uh uh, yeah beyond my experience (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what we call it it's not age it's wisdom wisdom. yeah that'll do I'm happy with that yeah. I used to previously um, be the head of safety for a trade association uh, to the Glass and Glazing Federation. So yeah. my kind of like interesting bodies, aren't they? But but also kind of I found I found in my experience with like trade association particularly were like kind of un- underutilized in a way. Like they could be really powerful um, bodies, but like I, f- I felt they and we suffered. I think and I'll speak for myself in my own opinion, but I felt we suffered from a bit of an old fashioned um, perception in that we were all yeah. just kind of old white men in smoking jackets and like big <laughs> wooden back chairs and cigars and stuff like that, which it wasn't like that anymore. It might've been like that in the past. I could never comment, but um, it wasn't like that now. And we suffered with that. But like one thing I did see was like the pure potential of getting groups and organizations together as an yeah. industry to talk about the problems. And I, I, yeah. I thought like it's so powerful, those associations and trade associations and, and groups or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because they're almost what you make them, aren't they? You can, you can totally. bind them up in red tape and you can make them a complicated process and procedure, or you can stay really focused on the true aims of that association, which is essentially, as you say, to get people talking, to bring a forum, to do those amazing things. And, and, you know, it's been funny over the pandemic because I think with everybody working remotely, we definitely had an uptake in the interest in the associations and, and the link was really needed with government by the industry. And so, you know, it's kind of focused those associations in a really interesting way. And I don't think that the UKCMA is alone in that piece. I think, you know, if you look at We Make Events, you look at, you know, some of those big organisations, PSA, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time with those organisations sitting in conference. And it's really interesting because actually we're all been experiencing that kind of interest in those in, in, in associations and their ability to, you know, 
their ability to talk to government, their ability to do that on behalf of, of their members with the interests of their members truly at heart. So there's a kind of advocacy piece, if you like, and then there's the linking and communicating piece, which is, I think for the UK CMA is a really big part of what we do. So getting people who would normally be in competition with each other sitting around the table to discuss common aims has been massive. And of course, within the security events industry, that's a, you know, that's quite a big deal, really, I think, in terms of getting those people talking. And, uh, you know, so at the moment, we've kind of hit this upturn. There's a definite uptick in 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 the both the interest and the, you know, whether it's the socials or whether it's, you know, all your KPIs of interest in terms of, you know, seeing the associations growing. Um, so, so, yeah, so we, I don't know why, but then we launched the global piece on the 1st of December 2021. So coming off the back of what was going on, we felt that it was a really needed piece. And yeah. so we, um, we created that with uh, ESA, which is the Event Safety Alliance in America and ESAC in Canada. And it has been a two-year really wonderful journey and getting ready and set up for that piece so that's sort of launched with a bang so we're now about three months into that work and it's bringing together sort of global crowd practitioners from all over the world students uh, police officers joining local authorities so it's a real mixed bag of interest in terms of you know it's not just your event organizers or just your it's anyone interested in crowds so that's anyone who kind of works in crowded places so you know this broad uh, stroke approach that we need to have I think is important as well so yeah that's just a, I think a summary of where where both those are at anyway. yeah no I love it I mean when you when you look at like there's a big shift within safety and risk management to like really start talking about resilience and and, and I think trade associations professional associations etc have a have a massive part to play in like organizational resilience like there's I mean, if you just take, I think it's BS 65,000 or whatever it is, uh, the British Standard <laughs> Guidance on Resilience, like in there it talks about being able to kind of communicate with your competitors. Like, obviously there are difficulties with that because you've, I don't know, whatever, the trade matter, you know, like all of that, I don't know, commercial rule breaking <laughs> stuff. You can't talk to yeah. you, talk about, you have the same as what we had, I suppose. You can't talk about rates and, and stuff like that. And I can't remember what, what it was all called, but there's difficulties with that talking to your competitors and your supply chain and people that are not, you know, maybe potential customers or whatever, but like that's a massive part of resilience engineering. And, um, you know, just towards the end of my time at, um, at the trade association I was at, like we were, I was really starting to try and push that in that if you want to be a resilient company, a yeah. massive part of being informed and horizon scanning or whatever you call it is being active in those types of groups and having those types of conversations to identify those kind of risks or benefits that are on the horizon um, that might hit you or might not. And, you know, that that tends to be a kind of risk 101 about silo working, right? Because the minute you start to work in silo across an industry or not only across an industry, but with the external stakeholders that need to form part of that piece. In our case, it's police, local authority, security in industry authority, uh, you know, DCMS, government. You know, there's loads of people apart from just our members. So if we work in silo with those people, we're never going to get anywhere. The result isn't going to be a safe one. And, you know it doesn't take a lot for you know 
a major disaster to happen. So if you look at Astroworld, as we kind of came to at the beginning of this piece, or, you know, you look at Manchester and the arena inquiry that's that's ongoing and the, the protect duty legislation that's coming out of that, which is going to change the landscape for crowded places okay. massively over the next couple of years. Um, you know, if we're not working together as teams to look at things like supply chain shortages and, you know, where we're, we're you know, and protect duty, they're two really good examples of, of things that the industry is going to need to come together to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, you, you sort of have to dispense of that 101 risk of silo working and and you know at the heart of all of that can't be monetary because as you say there's that you know you can't price fix you can't you know you end up in a position where you end up with a monopoly if you're not careful and that's not you know legally that's not allowed but also that doesn't stop us from doing an awful lot in terms of, of our capability and reach now so you know for me that piece is all about working with all of those stakeholders and representing all of our members and their various views not everybody agrees on everything, but you've got to find those kind of tenets, haven't you? Totally. Information, you know. Totally. No, I love that. I love that. Right. Anyway, we didn't come on talk about trade associations and their benefits. Oh, why not? <laughs> All right, hit me with some questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, I do. We had the the the. I can't remember what his title was, but potentially the the secretary MD whatever of the. British Frozen Food Association, and I, I did the same with him. Like we're just kind of talking about the the true benefits of that because I just I just think they're underutilized. And I run like a, a professional membership kind of development body on on the side of what I do in the consulting stuff. And and one member in there works in the frozen food industry, and he listened to that podcast. And then after that, he was like, actually, I might join the frozen get our company to join the frozen food federation. <laughs> and now he's like loving it he's like running little projects for them and, oh that's amazing and like, that's what this is all about like that the more yeah. people that come together to your point whether it's external stakeholders internal stakeholders you know more people that come together and try and solve those big wicked problems that we've got that's yeah. the way that's the only way we're going to do it is he- and i think it's uh you know we've got some amazing people working at the uk CMA, and and the global crowd management they're, they're incredible they're top of the game in what they do and they're passionate about what they do Our, you know our chair eric stewart if ever you get a chance to hear him speak you should because he's so passionate about everything he does but he's he's a, he's a much better speaker than i am he should be sitting with you today actually <laughs> But yeah, so there are some amazing cogs in the wheel uh, of, of of my world as well, I think. And and so, yeah, hopefully we all learn off each other, right? That's important. Yeah, totally. totally. So, yeah. Good practice. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Right. Okay. So when we had a, a chat and we were kind of planning this, it came to light in my naivety that there is a difference between crowd control and yeah. crowd management. And yeah. um, so like, what is that difference? I have no idea. Like, I didn't even know. I just saw a crowd and I want to kind of control them. Whereas maybe and then there's management as well. So like, what, what's the difference between those two? So I think probably let's start with the simple definition of what those differences are and try and give, give something with sort of a real life experience of those. So, so mm-hmm. when you see the police kettling as, as people like to call it, and it's not the greatest term but let's use that term because people are familiar with it that is crowd control that sort of that that um 
that kind of world of policing is much more akin to crowd control so when there's a riot when there's a protest when there's a you know that's when crowd control really comes in and it's something that police are really actually pretty good at and I think they have years of experience and techniques in that but mm-hmm. sitting aside from that is is crowd management which is kind of our world and it's much more sits it actually sits much closer within the private security industry and within the private crowd management industry than it does uh, you know, sitting in with with public order and policing. So, uh, you know, the very rough definition of that is kind of a whole of event system. So it works with your event management plan to right, yeah. work out your queue systems, your ins, your outs, your fills, your flows, your monitoring of people. So all mm. the kind of stuff that prevents us needing crowd control comes yeah. through crowd management. So the crowd management plan will concentrate on your densities of areas, your capacities of areas, but also concentrate on where you need staff, where you need cameras, where you need infrastructure, you know, all of those different elements. So crowd management is much more about the the proactive, if you like, whereas crowd control is more of that reactive come in when something has happened to control that piece. So that's a very rough idea. I think, you know, we could, looking online, there's much better definitions, but it kind of gives more of a real life piece to what those actually look like in terms of what we do no i think that's good i feel that makes sense kind of when i was pondering on it just before we pressed record i was kind of like to me it sounds like one is like hands-on like literally kind of pushing or 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 stopping the crowd like real sense the 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 sense of the word control right and then exactly to me sounds more like less direct maybe it's a bit more like indirect kind of influencing slash management like you're not pushing them there but you've kind of put the fences there to channel them to go that exactly. way anyway so yeah. to your point proactive um so no I, I think that was a really good definition thank you for that right. really good. <laughs> yeah i kind of I, I feel like there's a metaphor to like herding sheep in there somewhere but I, yeah yeah <laughs> Sheeps in pens or herding sheep, that's probably the difference. So, <laughs> but, you know, there is a kind of element of, you know, the two do cross over. So when you have to evict someone from a site, for example, you've got, you know, you've got someone who's being rowdy, you know, you're going through a process of eviction. There is an element of, of control in that piece, right? So, so you know, but it still falls under a crowd management plan. So I think sometimes it's quite difficult to extrapolate the two from, from each other. And there's sort of that gray area in between which is the police do some management when they're looking after a process um but yeah i think you know if we look to management as the preventative solution uh, and you look to to control as a, as the the order and post uh you know the reactive piece almost yeah yeah no i get i it's so i find it so fascinating like big events and crowds to a point like I think when we spoke the first time over the phone I was like never worked in events like I'm probably the only sense of a crowd I was like like because I've managed like big hospitals so like a lot of people in a in a space but ultimately not not a crowd like not a not a group of people going in the same direction but like and maybe this is like so I'm I'm quite like one of my specialisms is fire safety so when I'm yeah Thinking about fire safety, I yeah. mean, the last thing I want is a big crowd of people. Like, yeah. that's the last thing I want. So, like, I'm going to a gig in about two weeks' time to watch a band with my wife and father-in-law, and we saw this yeah. this company before, and I, I 
in that moment become that stereotypical safety person that I hate. Like, I'm like, right, where are our means of escape when we get in there? Because I know where everyone else is going, that kind of crowd behavior, they're all going to where they came in. You know, and that comes from all the case studies that I've thought, like we've kind of read about and done and like stuff like that. But it's just, there's a part of me, Annie, that's kind of like, isn't having all of those people in one tight space just such a bad idea? But like, <laughs> we could never get rid of it though, right? Like it's such a wicked problem that you guys have to manage and deal with. Like, and then you throw alcohol in there as well. Like, I'm just like, Jesus. It's fascinating, but also a wicked, a wicked problem. And I think it, you know, it's a problem that in terms of behavioural psychology, some people yeah. spend their whole lives just concentrating on the behavioural psychology of crowds. You know, you've yeah. got people who are true specialists in that world, like John Drury and Clifford Stott and Chris Cocking, who are academics, and they, they, that's all they do. And and you know, you've got, but the, you know, the link into fire safety or the link in is, is you know, if you haven't got, there's a critical link ins, right? Because if we don't know the exits are secure, safe managed you know we we from a fire safety perspective and also from an evacuation perspective you know it's as much in our interest as it would be in yours and you know you might say you hate that person but actually looking to see where your nearest exits are is is you know that's 101 common sense isn't it you know wherever you are in whatever environment you're in. but you know there's this piece about crowds needing to take place because we're sociable creatures we need to meet and we need those environments and I don't know who you're going to go and see but we need live music in our lives and we need you know all of that stuff you know and so our job I think as crowd management is to facilitate that piece I mean I think we're there to support our clients now obviously we don't have uh, you know, we don't have a job unless there are events, so it is in our interest to get them on, but get them on safely. So I think you have to draw a line with an event where you know you are you have a good you have those good working and honest working relationships with your clients that enable you to to for, that they consider crowd management important enough and safety important enough. So your kind of like minded clients are the ones that that you know after years and years of working in the industry, we're lucky enough to be able to work with people like that. I think you know not all events are like that and I think there are people who who wing it and people who you know there's a real I think without you know there's guidance with the purple guide but there's no legislation around a lot of this stuff so you're looking to the health and safety at work act you're looking to the fire safety regulations to temporary and demountable structures all of those different pieces of guidance legislation that exist you're kind of working across all of that so again we come back to that sort of broad based approach but mm. ultimately what we need to do is open the doors and get those people in safely and and you know of course crowds you know there's there's arguments that crowds are inherently dangerous i think we uh, you know, we're never going to completely mitigate risk, but we can minimise it. That's the starting point for us. And we have to be realistic. The risk will always exist in that world. Yeah. And, you know, and take a Formula One event. The risk is very high of, of fatality on some of those events. You know, there are certain types of events where where fatality is, is you know, a big part of it. And, and you know, those, I suppose, you know, Formula One tracks, football, you've got certain areas where crowds meet, which are really well regulated. And then you've got other areas like greenfield sites and temporary events and particularly sort of small gatherings, temporary event notices where there's very little regulation around it. Mm -hmm. And you're looking to these other pieces of legislation. So, you know, I think the professional health is super important for anyone working in our world. And it's sort of we are tied in across 
all of the commitments that we make, the councils and authorities, all of the permissions that we get from them. So, yeah, it's a huge scope from fire safety through to through to sitting with the agencies and safety advisory group. You know, there's a lot involved in getting a crime management plan over the ground, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, is, I, I, I absolutely love what you said there. Like, you know, our aim is to continue to make it happen, right? Like, I, I love, I think, like, the safety profession suffers from that a lot in that, like, yeah. people think that we just exist, like, like, the jokes are always, oh, your dog's just completely distracted me. Oh, I'm no. so sorry. No, no, I love it. No, it's <laughs> She's nearly 15 now, so she doesn't, she doesn't, occasionally she'll wake up and hear something. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's Staffy. Yeah, Staffy. Yeah, cross with a very white nose. <laughs> We would totally anyway. Be happy, but my, my wife's got like quite sensitive allergies, so like we've got Aww. we've got a poodle, but we have to keep him like, well groomed. But like he, I love poodles; they're awesome. He's, <laughs> They've got a bad rep. Like safety, haven't they? Very true. It's like that's a, there's a there's an irony in that, isn't there, that I've got <laughs> right. Same for staffies and security. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. That's exactly. Good point. <laughs> Owners and their dogs and all that. You probably have a German Shepherd, actually. I think it's fit more, would it? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, so sorry, a, we were we. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned about being enablers, and I, and I love that because safety suffers from that a lot, right? In the everyone thinks that we're just disablers and we, you know, I'm working with a client at the moment. We're kind of doing a keynote for them to kick off this like big project they're doing to change that exact perception in that yeah. everyone sees them as like oh, pain in the ass, but actually they want to be seen as we're here to help you do these big, yeah. they, they do loads of parties and stuff. So we're here to help you do all these parties um, and, and to help you kind of work effectively. So it's like, it was kind of a, was it a leading question or kind of a naughty question in a way that like, I kind of made it sound like we want to get rid of crowds, but like, man, we all want to go to like, I know so many people that would not survive their life if live events weren't like yeah. big events weren't, didn't, weren't a thing, but like, I think it's a, yeah, that's a massive issue for psychology for the yeah. whole nation, isn't it? I mean, in terms yeah. of what we do and across the world, the need to gather. I mean, that's an ancient need. That's not a new thing. Right. So, you know, Crowds have been happening since crowds, since people were. Since you know, crowds. <laughs> yeah, since there were people. <laughs> so. Yeah. Also, it must be quite like the British music industry is massive, right? And sports as well. It's huge. Yeah. So, like, you know, economically speaking, it would be a massive hit if we were to lose something like that, right? If well, yeah. so yeah. I mean, it's quite. It's actually pretty difficult to quantify how big the industry is because you've got yeah. um and. Business and Venue and Events Partnership, BVEP, they're an organisation who, who basically work uh, work across different industries. So, you know, when you put weddings in the mix, it comes out as billions. I mean, 86 billion or something the industry's worth. I can't remember the exact figures, but wow. it's sort of there or thereabouts. And, uh, you know, the worth and value of the industry, because all these different parts of it work, you know, you've got the music part, you've got the sporting, you've got weddings you've got all of these different pieces create um you know create the events industry sometimes it's actually not really an industry because it's in these different facets so again talking to one another is important so those kind of you know meetings where we sit down with all of those different people who are representatives of those organizations is, is really important in terms of trying to get you know 
one type of event doing the same as another type of event. So, you know, but we're there to, you know, that, that enabling piece, we're there to work with the client to get to something and each client is going to have their own requirements. Some of them are going to be there to, because for the love, some of them are there for the culture, some of them are there because there's a lot of money to be made in, in the right events. Um, you know, and, you know, I think each of those clients, you have to kind of work with their aims and their creative vision. You know, we do a lot of art, arts and, and, and street art stuff. That's part mm-hmm. of what we do as a specialism. So kind of your big light shows and, and, and that kind of thing. And awesome. when you're working with those clients, it's always about the artists and their vision. And you've got to kind of create the crowd management around that vision, uh, you know, which it, because that's what's important, the visual or the the audio or whatever is going to be the important part of that piece. And if you can't integrate the crowd management into that, you know, aim of your client, then it can rub. And, and you know, but if, you, if you're building honest, trusted relationships, when it gets to the point at which you have to say, actually, you can't do that because of X, Y and Z and it's not safe to do it, then you've got a relationship where you're talking to somebody. And like you say, it's integrating safety into, to, to you know, part of what you do organically rather than it becoming a, annoying aside that somebody's got to tick a box and so you know we all have we all it's incumbent on all of us in the industry isn't it working with public safety or any kind of safety to smash that mold and to yeah. to create you know something which works with clients and builds the reputation of the industry as something that's more than that but of course safety becomes more and more important every day you don't you know it's not a it doesn't have to drag you down in terms of, of mood it can be really enhancing to a piece if an audience feels safe and an audience you know so working with that creative vision is is a huge part of that so so yeah my view on it is it's integral I suppose do you think the audiences think about their safety in big crowds like that it's hard to know because I only ever go as somebody who sees it through a safety eyes and it's sometimes yeah. hard to know I think you know Again, it depends on the audience profile. I think uh, it depends on the environment as to how much people are considering their own safety within that piece. Um, You know, I think you put drugs and alcohol in the mix and it becomes a really different ballpark. So, you know, we know what type of events we're going to get large drugs consumptions and you've just got to plan in for all of that stuff, right? You've got to expect that. So you've got to expect people to particularly in the return to events after not having done it for two years, people are a bit rusty and probably some people are excited and some people are going to be cautious. And, you know, we're doing a big bit of work at the moment, which is to understand the behaviour of people coming out of the last two years and going into how we're expecting to see crowds behave in the next, you know, in the next year. And, and you know, that, and particularly in the next sort of event season where we're in the height of the festival season and stuff. So, yeah. but, you know, We've already seen some bad behaviour at Wembley, so it isn't all going to be plain sailing. And with hmm. you know, a number of staff shortages and critical issues in the industry at the moment, it's it's not, you know, I don't think 22 is going to be a particularly easy year for the world of crowds. And, and okay. you know, yeah, we, we have to kind of, we have to plan for that. We have to be realistic about what that looks like. So, so yeah. It is... It's just such a fascinating industry. And I didn't even think about Wembley, you know, but the second you said it, I was like, yeah, them dickheads. Like, it just... <laughs> yeah. Um, you should... I said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Baroness Casey's written a brilliant report. I would, if, if you want to, if okay. you want to 
see what you know the outcomes of those learnings of those reports I think should go across as many of the safety industries as possible so if you go onto the FA website I, I can pop you the links over later James um oh, but be great. Yeah, I'll the, the description for everyone else or anyone else yeah so so it's uh so I think it's the FA.com uh, and the summary of the Baroness Casey report uh, into it. And you'll see uh, quite a lot of learnings from that, which I do think go across all sorts of gatherings and crowds and, you know, to do with how operationally ready people were, you know, what we should be learning from that. So, so yeah, worth a look. Do you think, um, I mean, it's interesting. The thing that comes to my mind is, is uh, a lot of the time when I'm working, not in events, it's in, not in, normal work um you know a lot of the time particularly in fire i'll talk to a client and i'll say okay when this goes wrong and they'll be like well what do you mean when we're not gonna have a fire all right let's just just bear with me when this got when you have a fire how bad will it be and they're kind of like, I might be, we've got alarms and people get out and there's, there's always like i always struggle to get uh, I, there is there is a struggle with the client to get them to have that kind of worst case scenario um, kind of severity based approach. Like a lot of the yeah. time I, I've got this kind of there's a lot of safety pressure that don't agree with me on this. And so I might get a load of hate after this. But essentially, like I, I talk to a lot of people about. You know, when we say like severity versus likelihood in our kind of typical risk assessment approach, right? Yes, of course. I always say, I always say, I have been kind of debating for a while that severity should have more weighing in the conversation than likelihood in the, e.g., the, the, the higher severity, the less you consider the likelihood. Yeah. So in like human organizational performance or resilient engineering and stuff like that, we talk about that all the time about focusing on the stuff that will kill you, but like people don't like, and, and, and when I pose that to a lot of people and say like, I, I actually think likelihood is not a very good thing for us to include in the conversation. Cause one we've proved that humans are horrendous at making predictions. Like we're just so bad at it. Even the people that especially, <laughs> Are employed to make predictions are horrendously bad at it. So until we bring in maybe like AI and shitloads of data to help us with that, ultimately yeah. we're really bad at it. So we're really bad at it, but yet we give it equal weigh in when we go, we think that could kill. Like we know fire kills. We know that falls from height kills. We know, you know, loads of things kill. So we're like, if we were to focus on severity instead of likelihood, um, and there is a point to this, and I'll bring it back around. Um, I'm on a bit of a soapbox at the moment. Um, <laughs> but like, if we focus on severity a bit more, then we might build ourselves some capacity to, and here's the point, fail safely. So when it comes to crowds, like I feel like the severity of something going wrong, like if something went wrong, if it's not well managed, it could be just horrendous. It could be really bad with big yeah. crowds. So like, do you find a similar struggle with that, like people to put severity on a higher pedestal than likelihood or, or is that just a natural thing anyway, because the industry knows if it goes wrong, it's going to go wrong bad. So I think about Wembley, like, do you think they had those conversations to say, hang on a minute, Football ain't great 
reputationally anyway. So we, how bad could this actually go? People have been locked inside for two years. What's the worst that could happen? Do you yeah. think somebody would have gone? Actually, I think it's quite reasonable for us to say people might just just overpower the, the fences and just yeah. storm the gates. Like, I feel like if somebody posed that, the room of professionals like yourself would have gone, yeah, I think that's quite likely. But even if it's not likely, how bad that could be is quite bad. Like, I don't, do you yeah. have those? I mean, what's your general? I've said a lot there. So, like, is it- <laughs> I'm going to try and break it down a bit into what. So, this kind of severity likelihood is a thing. I think it's really easy to focus on your Wembleys or your Manchesters or your Astro Worlds and say, oh, look at those crowds. But then to not, you know, for, and in some cases, prevent almost, yeah, well, that won't happen to me. You know, so you've got a bit of that going on. You know, you've got yeah. a bit of it's happened to someone else. You've got, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel that for me, we concentrate on those bad news stories, right? And we miss all of the near misses. We miss all of that stuff. And we, you know, likelihood it actually is important in what we do because the likelihood of someone tripping and slipping is much greater than someone being, uh, from someone uh, detonating a bomb in the middle of Manchester Arena. That, that you know, it's much more likely that someone will hurt themselves, break something, uh, you know, and, you know, we, we've got all of those kind of levels of that. So likelihood kind of is important in what we do in that way. And maybe you're right, we need greater weighting towards severity. But, uh, you know, I think in our industry, we forget the near misses. We forget the, the minor instance and we focus all on, you know, we wait for people to die at Hillsborough before we make any changes to the legislation. It's always a reactive piece with the legislation. And actually, you know, Protect Duty is a super important piece of legislation around counterterrorism, for example, and that's up and coming. And it's really, really, um, you know, a, a clear example of somewhere where we've got a case of a massive disaster that has engendered some positive change through actually the work of the families that's what's done it particularly Fegan Murray who's worked super hard to campaign for for the piece you know and so that's pushed through a lot more change than we may have seen anyway but you know we tend to wait until we've had the disasters to learn from them so I guess that's that's part of my beef is that I want to make sure that we take the lessons we've learned and and commit them to to regulation and legislation and guidance before you know we not in the we let's make different mistakes let's not make the same mistakes again do you know what i mean but yeah. you know i think we have this really reactive approach to legislation which something has to happen before you know it, it's so, so there's that kind of piece about for me about um you know the it's much more likely that we'll get a slip and trip. So that likelihood piece is important. And, and that, you know, that's where we end up with um, the most amount of our incidents on site is things like that. So, you know, that's what we spend 99% of our time doing with maybe 1% of our time being, you know, in, in environments which are, you know, major incidents or whatever, or 0.1% of our time or whatever. So it's a real minimal number of times that we get these disasters that do make the paper. So mm-hmm. what I think is, you know, you've got to take a different approach to it and you've got to, you've got to find different uh, motivators for people to, to kind of get enthused on, on preventative rather than, than responsive, you know, yeah. that, that, you know, that for me is a really important driver. Yeah. 
this is why i kind of bring i keep bringing this up all the time because i can't seem to get rid of it this feeling yeah. that maybe it's not the whole time maybe there's a line in your kind of i don't know severity i don't like rating things but like if you imagine like there's a dial of severity and maybe there's a line where once you go past that line severity starts to become more important but i don't know but and the reason i bring it up and i bring it up with a lot of people is because there's something there i'm not sure what it is and it but we need to have like that point you made there about you know ultimately you know the the amount of broken ankles at glastonbury for example It could be quite damaging to a company financially, let alone like if they all st- decided to sue, um, yeah. you know. So, so yeah, it, it's not, I suppose in a way like I could have described it was in against how or I've always said it's not one or the other. It is kind of a bit of both. And, and that's kind of where we struggle is getting that bit of both. Right. But there is something that you said there that I thought was really, really interesting that you missed, you missed the near misses which I, you don't yeah. like think about the near misses enough. And I, yeah, a bit of work. And there's so many of them to learn from, right? Yeah. You know? This so, is where I think actually, because we had, um, I did a bit of work at, at the trade association when I was there um, in, we were trying to, I don't know how much you know about like aviation, but in the aviation yeah. sector, they have a essentially like an industry-wide reporting system. So yeah. anybody, customers, pilots, ground staff can all report into this yeah. system yeah? yeah so we were like let's do the same for our trade let's do this imagine if we yeah. we were the glass and glazing industry i said imagine if you had a customer or a random walk down the street and he saw bob's glazing at the top of the shard just just hanging there doing something stupid and put it on there and then two years down the line we see that not only does bob's glazing do that but so does Steve's glazing and Charlie's glazing and Sheila's glazing and Annie's glazing. Hang on a minute. This isn't just a couple of idiots. This is an industry practice that, that no one really talks about. So imagine if you had like, I don't know whether you do or don't, but if there was something, the amount of times that this company, that company, this company had one little barrier broken by a crowd or breached, yeah. however you call it, yeah. you could start to see, hang on a minute, breached barriers is a huge thing like i feel like there's a place for data and technology there like an apps and make yeah. it easy isn't it like don't know if I, so, yeah and i think i think there are some people who are out there trying to collect that information you know working with crowds is one website that does just that and, and yeah. you know at the ucma we try and collate data trends but you know unlike aviation we're not in an industry that's heavily regulated yeah so i think you know glazing is probably similar that, that like you're drawing you know we it's hard to draw the parallels between aviation and other industries because aviation alongside maritime and various others that yeah. just like have massive systems in place. And so that reporting is part of those kind of fundamentally those systems. And I think, you know, for us, there's a way to go before we're professionalized and regulated yeah. to be able to enable that. And, you know, and I think this is where I might get slightly. I don't think it's all about risk assessment. So I think we get really focused on the risk assessment piece, the, the severity, likelihood, you know, ticking boxes, 
you know, putting numbers in, you know, we love it because you finish it and it's done, right? And you can put it away. And of course, that's not what this is all about. This is all about delivering safe practice. Yeah, so this yeah. is all about going, okay, my risk assessment works in my event management plan, which works in my audience management plan, which works in my fire safety plan, which works with my everything else. And all of those things come together as a living, breathing piece of work. Mm-hmm. All of those then disseminate into something that I can give people on the ground that they will understand and they will read and they will get. And, you know, everybody's practice will be better because it's just part of the op- operational culture that that we're doing these things right and actually unless you think about it like that and it becomes sort of that that management from the top down with all of this piece risk assessment kind of is meaningless to me without yeah. all of those things that go with it so you know I, I whether or not I'll get slated I don't like numbers in in and I don't you know I don't like spreadsheets if that's all that's there yeah. you know because it's 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 you're missing the wider risk and if you tick every box and go brilliant I've done it yeah that's a great checklist but is it really you know what are you really doing there you know so um if that stands aside from the rest of your the the organizational culture and it doesn't disseminate in something that is relevant to the people who are out there doing the job what's the point of doing it yeah so now I'm on my soapbox <laughs> jump off there's one thing i've wanted to do on the podcast for a very long time and i've only just got it set up is uh i've got a little like desk thing here right and i've got some sound effects on it and i want to start bringing the sound effects in and one of the sound effects is an applause and for the first time somebody has said something when it's been set up warrants an applause so you and marie have first i think hopefully if this works live applause can you hear that? Yeah. yeah. I won. <laughs> you are preaching to the converted here. On that. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool with, with the professional kind of development body membership thing that I run. We were in a call yesterday and one of the ladies in there is doing a project for the Institute of the International Institute of Risk and Safety Management. Yeah. And um she was basically talking about a guide um, and uh, to improve risk assessment and risk management and to just get people thinking about it differently. She's got a great out- outlook on it and she's an, an outstanding safety professional and I'm looking forward to reading it. I'm sure struggling with a title and, and she wanted something provocative to like to get people to read it. And I was like, I can do provocatives. <laughs> risk assessments are shit. Just put that as your title because most are. To your exact point, most are shit. I said, in my entire career, I could probably count on one hand, I've seen risk assessments that that actually reflect the reality of work and actually actually not not just implement, but also influence risk management on the shop floor. I I, I don't see that. Most of them do exactly what you just said in the tin. Law says we need a risk assessment. We've got a documented risk assessment. It's got a couple of numbers on it, and it creates a false sense of safety within the organization so the CEO can sleep safety at night, better at night. And do you know what? I'm not judging anyone on that because that's just how we've always done it, right? Yeah. But that's not what it was intended to do. So that's like, not what it should do. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, and I mean, I, I, I kind of – I've said this millions of times on and off the podcast. Like you go to the HSE, who are the enforcer of the health and safety uh, in the U- of health and safety in the UK, and download their risk assessment template. It does not have numbers on it. It does not have numbers. It is simple. 
what's going to hurt us? Who's it going to hurt? How are we managing it? Yeah. That's, that's literally it. That's literally it. And I don't know how many times we need to have this conversation before somebody goes, oh, yeah, these numbers, I don't think they help us at all <laughs> in any way, shape or form. Um, yeah, I think it, you know, that think thinking risk, right, that you've got, you know, that that's what it should be. And you should be, uh, you know, and that's why I think HSE approach it in the way in which they do is because, you know, you, you need to keep that stuff simple. Um, you know, if if you don't, you've lost the kind of point of it and the over complexity in which I see 30, 40 page risk assessments that, you know, haven't been updated to reflect what's actually whatever the version of the last event plan was or whatever it is you're doing, you know, doesn't reflect activity, you know, and then no one's reading them because they're 30 pages. So they have no benefit and and it leaves you so liable and so open that if you do end up in a court of law, basically at that point, you're pretty screwed, right? You know, you know, what it's actually there and designed to do is two things. One is work with your operational plan, but also in the case of major incident or in the case of ending up, you know, in, in, you know, in front of the guy with the white wig, you're, you know, that you can stand up and they'll always pick holes in it, but you've got to do your best endeavors, right? That's what's really important. And that's what will, you know, that will, so so I think there's kind of two parts to this, both of which are hugely important, delivering experiences, protecting liability. And if a risk assessment isn't doing those things, it isn't doing its job uh, in my head anyway. So that that was that's nearly going to get you another applaud, but I don't want to. Really no, 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 it's too soon. Too it. soon, too really. soon. I want to keep it pressure. So for you, <laughs> another one. It's definitely getting clipped up, that one is. Awesome. Uh, I couldn't say any more. I don't want to. I don't want to get into some of the other stuff. But that was that was. Thank you for kind of sure. bringing that up. I think that's. That was, it was nice to hear this that we've got people that are more in like the operational kind of. Even though your role mostly is kind of has is safety is a big aspect of what you do in your kind of role, but ultimately, I suppose you wouldn't really class yourself as a safety professional. I suppose so. No, it's quite. It's nice to hear that somebody who's not a safety professional is on the same page uh, as, as as a lot of the people that listen to to this as well. So thank you for that. So no worries. Reason why we kind of brought you on was because I looked at um, um, Astro World and the incident there, and I'm just read the, the general news right, and I think the the case and stuff and investigation is still ongoing. So like we're not going to get into that, and, and neither of us probably know enough about it to get into it but just so like generally i I wondered if we could have a conversation around those types of incidents because from an unexperienced and kind of naive point of view it kind of had echoes of hillsborough to me like a little bit of echoes of hillsborough there um and, and i was thinking like not only do i think this not just about the events industry but many other industries i'm talking to a client at the moment who's asking the exact same question we know what kills us. Why are we not learning from it? And it's and, and that's in a construction-based environment. And then I was thinking about Astro World, and I was thinking, okay, that echoes of Hillsborough. Why did we not learn from from this? And like, and I was wondering maybe if you could kind of give ten pence worth. We could go down the rabbit hole a little bit on that one. But ultimately, sure. first point is is am I correct in saying there was echoes of Hillsborough or are they two completely different things or, or, or kind of what, what's your general opinion on, on that? If you can give an opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look on the tin, you could say one's football, one's a music concert, one's in England, one's in America, one was yeah. in, you know, 
you know one was a long time ago one was today so you can draw the differences really easily yeah you know but you can also draw a massive amount of parallels and and they are good you know i'm glad you've kind of mentioned that over other other instances because i think you know you can draw parallels in communication in planning in uh, you know entries and exits design of space uh, you know a, a number of people in the space you know the permissions that are given the legislation that governs it you know all of those are going to remain concurrent themes whether you're talking about Hillsborough or you're talking about Astroworld right yeah. and then the same if you're talking about Cameroon and the incident that happened a month ago or you're talking about La Liga in Mexico it doesn't matter but you know I think I think we do have this tendency to not think about them in the same way right so they they become different they, you know we have to remind ourselves of those critical similarities I think yeah. and you know what I think the GCMA is trying to do is to pull together some of those and to to, to take the learnings to standardize that piece um you know across the globe but obviously there are millions of events millions of, of you know different types of areas in which that can happen it can be you know the the um you look at the Mount Moron uh instant and where you had a lot of people worshippers turn up and then there's a you know you get a similar pinch point to the pinch points that you got at Hillsborough I mean that's no different uh, you know I, I think you know you can draw parallels between all of those different events um culturally breaking them down is much more difficult because learning from Astroworld Hillsborough if you're in Mount Moron, they're, they're very different environments, right? So I think we don't tend to draw those parallels enough, right. for sure. Yeah. I, I think that is something that we, I mean, it's fascinating to have in like safety. I mean, you, you probably heard, you get like the triangle that says so many near misses, so many. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, yeah. And, and I find it funny that what you kind of, you were talking about there is really interesting because we use that triangle wrong a lot of the time. So we, we, yeah apply that triangle to a company right so like yeah. you would be like to your company so if we have 600 uh, slips or near misses yeah. of, of slips for example right that means we're going to have a fatality in anything no 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 that's not how it's supposed to work how it's supposed yeah. to work is is a, a near miss in slips and trips there's a triangle for slips and trips yeah. so that's a that's a signal that you've got a problem with slips and trips, right? Yeah. So you could have a fatality in slip trip. And then the same, so you need a triangle for like each risk type is how Heimrich intended it to be used. Yes. So you would have a triangle for slips and trips, a triangle for fire, a triangle for work yeah. height. So we we kind of isolate them all with that triangle to look at the signals. But then to your point, what we do a lot of the time then is we go, okay, they're isolated, they're standalone, and we don't draw connections around things that are different. Absolutely. And the yeah. connections are really important. So we go, yeah. oh, that's, uh, you know, I, I, when I was in, again, Glass and Glazer, we're talking to some members, I'd be like, I've got this incident that's happened here in, I don't know, building. And they'll mm. be like, not related. We do. We work with glass, not bricks. And exactly. Like, okay. <laughs> Different industry, granted. You yeah. point there, mate. But let's. There are some similarities in here. I think this could quite easily happen in, in the glazing industry. Now nah, we're bit we're, we're glazers, mate. We're not builders. Yeah. And it's like okay. So you draw a connection in one thing, which is wrong, but then you won't draw a connection in another thing, which, which can help us. And it, it's such a good point that you pull up, like something might happen in a sports event that yeah. you could actually learn from in a music event. Um, because learn from. 
yeah. And not only that, but we have to look outside of our industry and go, what's happening in society at large, and what is you know what what's going on outside of of, of events that we can learn from. So you know, we can see a rise in 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 public disorder, uh, you know, amongst teenagers, as really clear documented, uh, you know as people are coming out obviously that is happening now what can we learn from that that's nothing to do with events that's nothing to do with with disasters or even near misses that's about societal behavior um but you know we're working in a world where the psychology is really important so again you need to draw the parallels across not only different industries and direct disasters but you need to draw the parallels to what's going on in the wider world surely so you know and to, to the point about, you know, triangles and silos, it's, you know, it's dangerous unless you bring it all back together, right? Because, you know, what's risk works in a make, in, in, in risk has to work in some sort of kind of uh, position where everything's crossing over, right? If you're, if you're thinking about risk, fire risk separately to, to, to audience risk or to, you know, what it's going to be when you pull somebody out of a pit, for example, in the crowd, you know, giving, giving one example of that, yeah. you know, you, you're missing that. Metalhead. Yeah. <laughs> so lots of moshing. Yeah, moshing sends yeah. it right up there. I'll, I'll put a number again. It's moshing on my risk assessment for yeah, you. Like, <laughs> like, like yeah, hi. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, each other. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, time time of day, weather, it all matters at an event. You know, you get you know, you come, you know, after dark, certain events just switch the vibe completely. And you can have a wonderful daytime event, which is kids and families. And it comes to night and you know, just this is, you know, a completely different vibe. And you've got to, you know, assessment is all part of that, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Do, you, do you have like, um, do, when you're kind of doing that event, did you we, a, a kind of that event management plan? Is it kind of like holistic kind of thinking of that so like how the set list might influence the crowd so to your point you might put so like i've been to download for example you'd have like bring me horizon who are like this massive metal mosh head band or like lamb of god and you had it in the middle of the day and i'm like there's kids around in the middle of the day why are we having lamb of god like in the middle of the day and then there's an argument to say well it's download do you know what I mean? You know what you're getting yourself into. Um, so, like, that's just one example of me pulling something out of my head from years and years and years ago. Yeah. But ultimately, like, is it that kind of holistic uh, approach to, like, this type of band, band, for example, just or this type of sports team brings a certain type of crowd? Do we want to mix that with stage two over here that's got yeah. the pig performance where there's going to be loads of kids? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're constantly, constantly thinking about your demographic and the clever events, linking all of that stuff, your cross flow between different stages. If you're on a multi-stage event, your performance, you know, your your programmers, your stage managers, your comms people, you know, getting that information out to the public about what's on when, getting people hyped for certain things, getting people moved between certain events, you know, you know, that multi, multi-stage piece. We, we look after Great Escape and Brian, this is one example of, okay. of, of an event that we, we work, and I haven't mentioned any other events by name, but I'll mention them because they're multi venue and we use the communications and, and and apps basically we build a whole crowd management plan off off apps and and communicating with the public through go here it's not busy go there there's a pop-up gig yeah. go and do this so so you know you're 
actually you're talking to everybody across the board and the good stage managers, the good programmers, the sensible event managers, they will will consider all of that in their planning mm. and work with you to consider all of it as, as, as a crowd manager. So, so yeah. Love that. Love that. How did you like, um, I thought it was interesting thinking about um, Astro World when like how much social, like so many people on social media in the crowd saying we've got a problem, um, yeah. something's going wrong. And I was like, wow like are we harnessing that is that is a conversation do, do you think the industry is having or will have in that you know actually do we need somebody monitoring twitter for or twitter facebook live whatever with this events hashtag or whatever because that actually could be a really good way for you to pinpoint and monitor crowd behavior, isn't it? Like, you know, it's just some guy put in a tweet out saying, God, there's some guy, look at this guy. Here's, here's this guy over here. He's going to hurt someone soon. And you're like, yep. security spotted that. Boom. They're on. Is that something that happens anyway? Or I think it happens more from a point of intelligence. There's an intelligence led approach to that stuff. So we often sit in an event control room. Uh, you know, that's often my space that I work in and I'll sit with you know as the crowd manager or audience manager with the police with the comms people with all of those and they will be monitoring what's going on and you know an, an event that we recently did in Durham which is quite a large-scale outdoor arts event so you know we were able to through the work of the comms team we were able to pick up on fraudulent tickets for example so you know the sale the sale of, of of fraudulent tickets was on ebay sites and so they were being advertised through facebook so they they monitored and picked that up through comms so so yeah i think sometimes it does get used maybe less so for there's a bloke over there who you know or you know you know what social's like i think you get less of that off it i think most of uh, the eyes and ears on the ground People will come to people out on the ground, your friendly stewards, much more so than your security, and they'll go and seek assistance and help. That's where we get most of the intel over what's kind of happening on the ground where a fight breaks out or, a, you know, and security and stewarding, you know, lads and lasses, they're very attuned into a lot of them knowing what to look for when there's a fight, what to look for when there's crowd disorder. I mean, but they're not specialists. And I think you have this kind of, you know, you try and lump in security and stewarding into professional crowd management and often it doesn't, you know, it can be a difficult rub. You've got yeah. companies to try and do both. It's really challenging, I think, yeah. to, you know, to do both pieces. But, you know, I think we're really attuned as individuals and there's a culture to think about monocausal risk and to think only about one type of risk. So for a while, everyone is completely besotted with the pandemic and that becomes the only risk that everyone thinks about and everything is about infection prevention but actually all of those other risks haven't gone away have they so you end up in a position where you forget all the important stuff and we're all having to relearn all of that because all we've had for the last two years in terms of risks has been infection prevention right so you know there is a we all need to learn how to get back to doing this safely um you know we're all a bit rusty probably yeah 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 yeah. I love that. I love that. And I think that is such a good point. Isn't it? And especially for those really dynamic environments where there is just so much going on, all yeah. of those things are all interactive. I mean, like when you look at any big incident, you know, I mean, I use Bradford football stadium fire all the time in my fire yeah. uh, training or general conversations with clients all the time. It's such a good example of loads of tiny, tiny, tiny things building up over time and time and time and time. Yeah. Like, and then if you add on, let's say that they didn't 
uh, Hillsborough ha- happened after that, I believe, didn't it? If I remember rightly. Yeah. And then it, it, and there was, I can't remember who told me and whether it was true or not, but apparently they had plans to install the same type of fencing that they had at Hillsborough around the, the stadium. And, and, but all of the people escaped from the fire onto the pitch. So I remember like talking about this years ago with somebody from the fire service, like, and they told me about that. And I was like, Jesus, imagine how much worse that could have been. And when you start to pile it all together, you can see that forget the fencing that it wasn't there, but let's uh, think about it as it is, as it was when it happened, you could see people fixing problems without considerations of the other problems that that created. So like, They used to chain up the fire escape doors because people yeah. used to buy a ticket, one exactly. ticket, go in and let their mates in yeah. through the fire escape, yeah. right? So they're like, how can we stop that? Chain the fire escapes when the gate's on. Like, yeah. no one's gone, do we not think that's a bad idea in case there's a fire? But it's like, we're so one-track minded to your point. They were like, right, we're fixing COVID, fixing COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we haven't thought about something else. Um, and ultimately, that's a really hard thing for all of us to deal with because there is... It's particularly in the dynamic environments that you're dealing yeah. with. Like, there's so much to think about, isn't there? Like, it must be, it must be quite overwhelming sometimes for event managers and putting together that event plan, risk assessment, all of that stuff. It, sometimes it might be a bit like, whoa, like this. Yeah, is huge. you're talking about people who might do this once a year. You know, you're talking about people who deliver these things. So, in ten years, you've only ever done it ten times, right? So, you know, I think on the the longer runs you get quite polished so football where you've got a season you can spend the time investing into the training of your staff the understanding of, of you know what, what to do and what not to do you can you can work hard with them when you're putting on one-off events it's a really different uh piece and so I think you know again you know that that kind of that work around that and the experience that you only can gain once a year on your own events, you know, you've got, you've got to be super polished and the events industry are amazingly resilient in terms of the way in which they perform and what they manage to achieve safely as an industry. It's unbelievable given the fact that we don't have the same level and regulation of guidance as we were talking about earlier with aviation, you know, we did, you know, it's not a very well regulated industry yet. You know, we managed to produce incredible events, the, the, you know, from from the Olympics, the, big, the biggest ones like the Olympics through to the, you know, to the little festivals and fates that happen all over the country on a, you know, to celebrate whatever it is, you know. So I think, uh, you know, event organisers are they're the ones who were running our hospitals they're the ones who are running our mortuaries those were the people who are out there doing it over the the pandemic because they're versatile they can pivot they can you know and they have a sense of flexibility that enables them to get the job done and I think that's that's the can-do approach of the events industry which is why it's always a pleasure to work with people because we've got to open the doors you know as long as we're safe to do so we have to open those doors that's our you know key aim we're getting a job across the line so you know I think we all work on that adrenaline and no sleep piece for the whole summer you know that we don't you know welfare has you know doesn't sit where it should do in terms of priority for individuals when they're out working people are doing really long days you know but they're they're, they're creating incredible amazing things and incredible experiences for people so yeah and do the public realize any of that probably not Uh... You know, yeah. that's what I was thinking it's kind of unsung heroes that <laughs> are just kind of getting the job done and we're going to see 
the band or the football game, we had no idea the amount of work gone in behind that to yeah. enable that to happen, like to get those doors open, like you say. Yeah. So fair play to everyone. It does. But it's it. so cool. It's so cool being part of that final product because it, yeah. you know, it doesn't really matter who knows it. You know what you've been through to create those things. And I, you know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, as long as everybody everyone goes home safely uh you know you've you've done and, and everyone goes home having had a good experience you've done your your job really so um yeah. you know that's what we're there to facilitate awesome awesome i would um well, mate, if, if you don't want to answer this that's fine but like if, if from from those kind of um incidents we were talking about or or kind of any incidents that you're kind of you know the big conversations it will happen now if there's anyone listening that is working in that event space or even if they've got a small event coming up what are the kind of the big things that you think that they should be focusing on to learn like you mentioned pinch points which are, is, is interesting yeah. um like just a quick like quick fire if you can like here are just some things that people just still struggle to get right get right now like yeah. think about this think about that think about this um if you can that would be i, I appreciate i'm putting you completely on the spot here no no that's all right i think it's um you know there's the, the the purple guide which is our guide for events and and in general if someone's looking at putting on an event they should look at the purple guide and it's a purpleguide.com uh you know and that gives the outline for what is expected of the industry so it talks about regulation it talks about uh it talks about the the everything from medical to your crowds and your audience managers to your risk analysis and your safety uh you know side but then it also touches on everything else from you know in in terms of what you have to do to make sure you put on an event safely so you know the purple guy is always a great starting point um I think you can seek professional advice. There's there's some really good suppliers out there. There, you know, a good starting place are those trade associations. That's one thing they're good at is for you know if people have joined the trade associations, the likelihood is they're they're you know they've been around a while. They'll be recommended. They'll be legit at what they do. So pick your suppliers carefully, uh, you know, and get professional advice in this stuff because you know we've just gone down the rabbit hole of a few things today yeah. and we both know the world of safety and the world of public safety are not simple right and so you know seeking professional advice is super important in that piece so you know we can you know we I think as you know we we can start from the point of, of you can you know often community events for example don't have the money to to get massively expensive professionals in to do all this work for them so the starting point is always to give people free and accessible advice and the pop code at you know the purple guide at 25 quid can't get more accessible right so you know that's I, I always think that's a great starting place and then pick your your suppliers that you work with really carefully to give you the proper professional advice and don't let people overcharge you <laughs> Awesome. Love that. Thank you very much, uh, Annie. Pleasure. Um, do you want to give a shout out to the um to all of the kind of your, your company to start off with? What so what do you do? Um if people if people are putting something together that you can help them out, yeah. what does that look like? And also the associations as well. Lovely. So I, I'll do a big shout out to everyone at Selects because Select Security is is uh you know a wonderful team of people. We um as a company look after event controls we look after audience management planning and we look after audience safety on site so those are our kind of worlds so if anybody wants to just 
talk to me about that, feel free. And we can always point people in the right direction, a quick call or a quick email uh, to me. Annie at cellsec.co.uk is no problem at all if anyone wants to drop one over. Um, the UKCMA, which is the United Kingdom Crown Management Association, is definitely my next name drop. And that's um, the association where you will uh, you will be able to pick up professional security and stewarding companies who do that work for a living so if anybody's putting on an event working in that world um, or needs security and stewards um, that's definitely a good starting place that's also all the practitioners for crowds as well so all of the specialists who are working in 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 crowds are sort of involved in that piece so again that's the ukcma.com for that Um, and then Lastly, the shout out to the Global Crowd Management Association. So if you're just interested in crowds at global level, you you want more information, uh, that's the association for you, definitely. And that that one's worth joining if you are, uh, you know, if that's your kind of interest or something that you want to you want to sort of do or be part of. So and that is the GCMA.com. So that's the website for that. So lots of routes into free information. Give us a shout if you need anything. We will be more than happy to help. Lovely. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming on and chewing the fat with us, Sam Marie. I appreciate it. Thank you ever so much, James. It's been really nice talking to you. Okay, peeps. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Anne-Marie Habib. You can check out all of the links for everything that Anne-Marie does down below, whether it's her company or the association. So if you're keen to work with her or learn more, just chat, then you can connect with her in the description below. And don't forget to check out Project Medium website in the description below, get your first month free. And finally, Rebranding Safety was brought to you by Risk Fluence. So if you need any support, um, whether it's technical safety or kind of more transformational culture change, human factor stuff, we love that stuff and we definitely want to come and help you have a bit more of impact within your risk management so please feel free to check out the website phone numbers emails everything you need below but otherwise you can drop me a message on linkedin which is where i'm most um pop most popular most not popular arrogant uh most what's the word prevalent no that's just as arrogant what's the word where i am the most that's where i go the most all right that's what i'm trying to say god um all the links in the description below. Um, if you want to email me direct, it's james at rebrandingsafety.com. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.